Hi, everyone. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And this is a very exciting episode. This is another episode in our series of delving into the gospel topics essays with our friend and favorite professor, Carrie Shirts, the Backyard Professor. So we are collaborating with Carrie to dive into each one of the Gospel Topics essays in a separate episode each time. And we are using this wonderful book, the LDS Gospel Topics series, A Scholarly Engagement, to kind of review the essays through the lens of this book. Um, this is written um, by different scholars and professors, each one tackling one of the gospel topics essays. So we kind of use this as our guide. And our goal is to cover one gospel topics essay per episode. So why don't you tell us, Landon, um, which gospel topics essay we're going to be covering in this episode of Mormonish? Okay, this is the first essay and probably the least important. <laughs> and we explain why. Uh, and that is, Are Mormons Christian? Uh, we kind of followed the write-up that uh, Craig Bloomberg did on this essay, uh, but we really look to see what are the criteria generally to consider a religion Christian, and then we discuss how Mormons fit into that and whether or not uh, we should, or Mormons as a whole should be considered as Christians, so... Great yeah, this topic. was really interesting to dive into. So we hope you guys enjoy this. Thanks so much. Welcome to a special edition of Backyard Professor Live. Sorry. Oh, got a frog in my throat. We are. What a way to start the show, you guys. I have two of my very favorite best friends with me, Landon Brophy and the lovely Rebecca Biblioteca. We are the three professors. We have the schoolyard professor, the junkyard professor, and the backyard professor, and we are bringing you some really good information tonight. This is our kickoff series video. We are going to do deep dives and explore every single one of the church essays that they have produced in order for them to convince the rest of us that now finally at last... They are open with their sources and truthful with their history with which we can collaborate together and verify and testify that they are full of bleep. Oh, oh whoops. Welcome, everybody, to a special Thursday night. We're doing this to accommodate Rebecca and Landon. They are going to have difficulties doing Sunday night, so I'm here to make a very special announcement for Sunday night. I have just lined up James Tabor for Sunday night, the world-class, and I do mean world-class, biblical scholar, archaeologist, Dead Sea Scrolls scholar, and friend, and we are going to talk about his online uh, gospel of Mark class, and we I'm going to try to get him to talk on Paul. His expertise is in early Christianity and Mediterranean religions. Our expertise is being about the professors of Mormon issues. How are you two doing tonight? Great. Yeah, doing good. Fabulous. Good. Marvelous. Okay, looks like we've got, oh, Radio Free Mormon is in the house. Radio Free Mormon. He's here to look at Landon, so Elisa yeah. Gallien. <laughs> hey, Moksha Raver. Sorry. I've yep. got to get even with him somehow or other. I don't I'm know what that saying. means. 
<laughs> I know, right? Mark Crispin, yeah, baby. That's for you, Mark. Yeah, we've got it going. Back it out with Kim DeHay. I'm in for the popcorn, he says. Good. Wendy Roland, good to see you. Looks like Troy Levitt. All right. Flat Pat, long time no see, my friend. Don Smith, welcome. Peter Higgs, how you doing? Going to listen from the car. Good on you. We're going to try to give you as much good quality information as we know how to tonight. We are going to rock this joint. And we have all decided that uh, the Mormon version of the restoration of early Christianity has pretty much, we've been looking at the parallels now for about three weeks behind the scenes, and we're convinced that there has been a restoration and that the parallels are strong enough that we are just about ready to go to back to church. Is that correct, Rebecca? <laughs> I would say absolutely not. <laughs> it must be opposite day. If you're going to say something like that, Carrie, I don't know. <laughs> well, I just thought I'd throw that out there to make sure my audience got trip. excited a little bit. So, uh, Landon, you're not about to go to priesthood meeting with me Sunday? Uh, I'm, I've got other plans on Sunday. Sorry. <laughs> I've got real, real things planned to look at. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess I'm going to have to go on a picnic in the churchyard by myself. There, there you go. Yeah, yeah we're going right. down to Fremont State Park looking at some rock art and uh, looking Ooh. at for, uh, our book club. So we're looking at some really things fun. that uh, from ancient history that uh, should be interesting. Well, I'm going to come down and be with you guys. Oh, you're there, welcome man. to it. Yeah. I'd Anyone love to. I'd love to. One of these days I'll plan ahead of time so I can do stuff like that with you without question. So... This, uh, this essay, uh, Are Mormons Christian? Uh, that, in fact, let me, let me put this on the screen for the moment. Are Mormons Christian? Um, isn't it interesting, you guys, how uh, this is such a topic of concern to the, to the brethren? And that's about all it really is a topic of concern, too. <laughs> and I think we'll find out more about that later. But I think it'd be interesting for each of us to answer that question um, in our own way. So do you think that's OK, Carrie? Should we do that? Just go through and everyone answer it. So if someone were to say to me just on the street, on the street reporting, are Mormons Christian? I would say uh, they are self-reporting Christians. They call themselves Christians. And I would also say those that focus on their differences would say that they are not Christian. And those that are able to focus on the similarities would say they are Christian. So that's that's kind of my take on it. That's how I would answer it just kind of off the top of my head. What do you think, Landon? If someone were just to come up to you and say, are Mormons Christian? What would you say? Well, I, I think the question is really quite out of date. Uh, I think that this is one of those things that maybe bothered the brethren back in the 80s, the 70s. When I was on a mission, it was maybe a thing that other religions would make a big deal about, you know, or Mormons, Christians. But I don't think most Mormons it cared whether they were considered Christians or not. They always thought themselves Christians. I think we need to update it and probably ask ourselves, uh, you know, I guess uh, maybe if you ask yourself a, as a Brad Wilcox would say, maybe the question really should be, are Mormons Mormon? 
That's probably the more <laughs> appropriate question because I don't think Mormons even consider themselves Mormons anymore. <laughs> That's a victory for Satan there. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We're gonna we're gonna mourn with the Mormons tonight. <laughs> so, My response to that question is, I mean, if they if if they want to be uh Christians, that's fine. I agree with you, though, Landon. This this really is a it's a dated issue. the 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 question I would propose nowadays is: Are Mormons truthful? And I know I push this I push this so hard all the time. I just did a response last night to uh, Sherry Dew, and it kind of flopped. I didn't get the response I was hoping, but it's all right. Nobody gives a flying flip about what she says anyway. I sure didn't when she said it, but um, are Mormons truthful? That has really become the issue because as you guys also in your wonderful podcast on Elder Kyle uh, what's McKay. his name? McKay. RFM's BYU, best friend, yes. RFM's best friend and former missionary companion. Uh, and I took him to task in a big, long, deep dive. You guys took him to task. Nemo has commented on him. And now uh, who else has talked? Uh, that I can't think of her name. She's going to kill me when she sees me next. Anyway, there have been several podcasts on his response on his yeah, discussion Renee, i think you're talking about renee stillman renee Stillman. Yeah, i, I, ap I apologize renee yeah i i'm enjoying your podcast by the way i left a note on the on the comments for you so so the uh the propensity for just and I think they've actually gotten to the point and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, you guys, I don't know, maybe my impression's wrong and I'm, I'm happy to be corrected, but does it not seem that the propensity now has just gotten to where they will just try to get away with as many little lies as they know how to, in order to maintain a, uh, whatever you want to call it, an image, a stance, whatever that, Quite frankly, the only people who are falling for it are still the chapel Mormons. Dr. Shade years ago on the message board did a big did a big analysis of internet Mormons versus chapel Mormons, and it just made the apologists have paroxysms of rage. They just attacked him tooth and nail, and now it comes out that he was right. And I think it's only the chapel Mormons that give a fly and flip about this anyway. And they don't even care if the leaders are lying. And, and, and maybe I'm wrong there. I'll, I'll back off if that's too offensive. But my issue is that they're not. Were either of you two raised to actually think through the issues and ask some questions of verification or refutation at all? Or did you memorize all the pat answers at the bottom of the manual page like I did? You know, so are Mormons truthful? That, of course, will never fly, of course, because they <laughs> want to be seen as being truthful. I, ju I just don't see it, man. Well, I think their so, truthfulness is relative to what kind of gymnast they are, right? It depends on the gymnastics you can do in your head to make you think that what you're hearing or what you're thinking you're learning oh, is truthful. It really kind of rests in your own mind, I think. Yeah. Well, I, 
I think they picked this essay to be the first essay that they did simply because what is a Christian? I mean, asking are Mormons Christians is like, you know, asking do Muslims believe in God? What does that mean? Do they believe in the same God as me? Do they believe in the same, do Sunnis and, and uh, Shias believe in the same God? What, what does that mean? And so when you say are Mormons Christian, that's kind of hard to argue against because really what, what is Christians? And that's kind of what we want to talk about tonight is what does it mean to be a Christian to, to begin with? And who, who gets to define what is a Christian? Uh, does, does uh, the backyard professor get to define that? The, the evangelical Christians, does Catholicism, does past history, current, yeah. uh, you know, currently you can be non-denominational and be a Christian. What, what does it mean to be a Christian? So yeah. I think they saw that, Hey, it's, this is one that we can that we can answer and, and and we can say we're Christian and I don't think most members are going to have a problem with it and so it's a great one for them to get started on because you know in the end if I look at it are Mormons Christian I say yeah yeah I can I can say Mormons are Christian Catholics are Christians I I, I can yeah. see it you know I grew up in uh, in McConkey Mormonism where yeah. you know uh, the Catholic Church was the great whore of the earth you know. And then they kind of backed that up, and then it was, uh, then it w went to, oh, all churches that aren't part of the Mormon Church are the whore of the earth. <laughs> and then it's like, oh no, we're that's a whole lot of whores. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they're yeah, like the whores. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. <laughs> Elder Brockbank loved to bash the Catholics when he was alive. Oh yeah. my gosh, that man was horrible. He would, oh, he was, he made McConkey look like angelic uh, <laughs> stuff. Man, it was something else. And, and, and we actually, we actually were given a booklet by Brockbank to take on our missions. And I don't know whatever happened to mine. I used it a little bit, but it was pretty brash. It was pretty bold. So yeah, they've gone to the softer touch. So. <laughs> the, the, right? the, the gospel topic series, they talk about what's called Sheolism, where there, there was a, a gal named Sheila, uh, Sheila something, but uh, she basically came up in the seventies or, or thereabouts. And, and the idea that Christendom was whatever you define Christendom, what you accepted and what you believed and what you followed. And that's kind of been what Christendom has become is everyone kind of defines Christ. What's Christ to you? How do you relate to him? And I think yeah. we've seen a big change from back in the eighties and the seventies where the institutions defined what Christ was to more people define what Christ is in their own life. And so what a Christian is has become much more an individual definition than an institutional definition, I think, over time. And I think you just described Mormonism the way it is now, too. Yep. It's whatever you want it to be. I mean, I can't tell you how many podcasts I listen to where this is what they say. I'm practicing my own version of Mormonism. So I think well, that's what it is. Wait, wait. Does this mean the prophets are prophetic? Because they have been talking about cafeteria Mormonism. Of course, and they've been railing against it. They want you to go right. all in. But uh, yeah, actually, that's interesting. It, it appears to me to be getting more and more subjective. Exactly. The, ben the benefit, wouldn't you suppose, would be much less uh, bickering, perhaps, maybe. I don't know. It's an interesting situation. So anyway, let's uh, land and you have put together 
some really good research here, and I'm going to give you full credit, and I'm going to give you full reign. You are the man. Are Mormons Christians? No. Oh, wait. No, that's not <laughs> Ish, right? Ish. That's right. And I think Ish. if we go to the first slide, I think we already kind of started talking about that a little bit. We did. There we go. I like your slide, Landon. It looks great. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that is a great slide. We, we've listed, this is the, the to gospel topic essays that we're going to go over uh, over the next several weeks. And, and as we pointed out, Our Mormons Christians is the first one. And you notice our picture there is a, a man with the gaslight uh, because that's kind of <laughs> the symbol we just chose, to, chose to use for the gospel topic essays. And, uh, and I saw in the chat, some people said, yeah, I disagree with you as to whether Mormons are Christians. And I think that's fair. I think you could, you could make an argument either way. Mm -hmm. And I think that that uh, churches have made the, the argument whether Mormons are Christians uh, or not. And, and right. so we're going to actually go into that and, and say, you know, what are some of the traditional reasons why people say they're not? What are some of the reasons why they might say uh, and what are the reasons that the church says they are? And so that's what yeah. we want to go through today is what are some of those arguments pro, pro and against and why? And then uh, everyone can decide for themselves, because I don't think there's anything that that definitely that you can point to that say you are, or you aren't, but we can definitely look at what are the standard criteria and then decide if, yeah. if that makes, makes it or not. So, and, and, and I, at the, at the thre Oh, sorry, Rebecca. Go ahead. I was just going to say one thing about that list. If you want to put it back up, I think this well, yeah. is very interesting because if we remember from what we talked about last time, um, the brethren before they put these out had a survey from John DeLynn, a comprehensive document about why people were leaving uh, the church. And the top reasons were polygamy, Book of Abraham, you know, the ones that you would expect. And look at where, if you can see where those are on this list. The first essays that they put out were Are Mormons Christian and Becoming Like God? Things that people don't really care very much about on those reasons people leave. It's almost like to me a shield where they put these first, these innocuous issues that no one really cares about. So a faithful member will go, oh, gospel topic. Okay. Christian, whatever. I don't care about that. Oh God, whatever. Oh, okay. These are fine. Maybe not even dig deeper to find out what's hidden, you know, in the seedy underbelly of the essays, which is polygamy <laughs> and, you know, Book of Abraham, all that other stuff as you get back down farther into it. So I just think the placement, the way that they put them out number by number is important to see how the lengths they've gone to to kind of hide these. So I just thought now, that was I, interesting when I looked at and, the list. And now the other thing to keep in mind, too. If I remember right, these did not just all appear within one month of each other either. Uh, the, it took a couple of years to roll all of these out, didn't it? Four, five, six, something like that. So by the time you mm -hmm. get through those first two, you're basically inoculated and you realize, oh, well, there's nothing left to worry about nothing with these essays. Yeah, yeah, we're all open and, and genuine because we are Christian. And yes, we do like the idea of becoming divine. So everything's good yeah. in Zion. So that's right. That would yep. be my impression. But. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and I really hope I don't come across as sour grapes here. I, I have no intention of that. However, I do have a stance. Uh, the one uh, talk uh, at General Conference, this last General Conference last April, was Dallin Oaks that caught my attention really strongly because the impression, and I'm just sure it worked with the 
audience. I, I have no question or doubt that it did work with the audience. With me, it just fell entirely flat. And that was where he stands up and he says, we believe in Jesus Christ. And then he just reads several biblical verses and calls it good. Right. Uh, I, and sincerely, let me just state flat out, that's not good enough. That, no, it was for uh, show. It, it, and we're going to talk about that later. It was absolutely what I like to call a Venus flytrap. It's all for show. So we are definitely going to cover that later on because you're absolutely okay, fine, yeah, Carrie. Absolutely yeah, I, right. I, I just, I, I thought, well, crap, I can stand up there and quote a bunch of Bible. In fact, I'll outdo you, Oaks. I can quote them in Greek. So, I mean, but what does that prove about our beliefs in Christ? Even Jesus said, well, you know, rather than pay lip service, uh, it's what you do, you know. So anyway, uh, Landon, let's let's go ahead and let you get started on this. You have put together some really good ideas, and uh, we will back you up all the way, brother. Okay. So, well, let's go to the next slide. And the, and the next, uh, oh, uh, yeah, before we get started, yeah, we wanted to, I wanted to bring, go, go ahead, go to the next slide. Oh, Okay. Uh, <laughs> This is uh, for the, for those of you who who aren't aware. Rebecca <laughs> is a huge Star Trek fan, and uh, she, oh, she, help me, just fine. <laughs> no wonder we love her so much. Yes, Rebecca. There's One only her... two things I know a lot about: Mormonism and Star Trek, and I just had to join the two together. I could not help myself. <laughs> she had to... and, and and what we're gonna do is we're gonna call it Star Trek or Mormon Trek. Yeah. It's called Trexmo. Oh, Trexmo. Trexmo. Trex, yeah, Trexmo. <laughs> and somebody pointed out in the chat, it is May the 4th be with you. So I don't know if this is sacrilegious or what, but here it is. There that's, it is. That's right. So we wanted to show that. And she's she's got these on Facebook and Instagram, and there's some really good memes <laughs> on here. I mean, there's probably, there's probably 20, 30, and, and adding Actually, every 67. Day. Yeah, I have Is a problem. 67 of them on there? Wow. <laughs> okay, I, I will tell my beloved audience right now, you guys, we will plan a show where we show all those memes <laughs> right here. And that will yeah. be your lowest attended show you have ever now, that will be the laugh-in session of this show, man. We will howl with laughter all night. So I have committed this, you guys. So there, there are go. some great ones on there. And this is just an example of one. This is one she did up for, for this show. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm kind of torn around visiting my homies, Jerusalem, then the Americas, the Alpha Quadrant. Uh this is, this is Christ, uh, the, the Christ version here. So, you know, our, uh, even in the year star date 2033, I don't know how they do star date, but uh, we've still got, we've still got the Mormons being Christian and Star Trek people being Christian. So uh, we'll, we'll look at that, but that's awesome. you know, look at, that's look at awesome. Facebook, look at Instagram and, and you'll get, you'll get a lot of laughs out of the, uh, out of these. These are great, uh, great ones. So those are fun. So, okay, let's go to, let's go to the next slide. And this is uh, what we're going to start out uh, Mormon beliefs versus the traditional model of Christian criteria. And basically there's, uh, there's a couple items that most traditional Christians say that you have to meet in order to be a Christian. And so we built this little table here to say, you know, these are the things that they say, and this isn't all encompassing. There's some things that some churches will say, some things other churches will say, but these are generally the biggies that they look at to determine whether or not uh, your your church or your beliefs are Christian or not. 
Uh, and so the very first one is triune God, or the basically, do you follow the decrees, the Nicene decree, the apostolic decree? And you notice on here, uh, do Mormons believe those or do they not believe in the triune God? And you notice that I have a gray dot in believe and a black dot in in uh, in don't believe. In 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 theory, you know, we we don't believe in a triune God, but if if you look in the in the Book of Mormon, we sure seems like we started out uh, believing in a triune God. Um, if uh, if you look in like uh, I look, I just marked up Mosiah uh, fifteen. Yeah, these are, are you my, reading your scriptures? I got my scriptures. I had to find. <laughs> I apologize to my audience in advance. I, I heard Mormonizing. that sound of the scripture paper rustling, and I was like, and... "What is happening?" <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, I, I looked it up, and uh, it like uh, Messiah fifteen. Uh, I'm, I'm starting in verse two, and it says, "And because he dwelleth in flesh, he shall be called the Son of God." And having subjected the flesh to the will of the Father, being the Father and the Son. The Father, because he was conceived by the power of God, and the Son, because of the flesh, thus becoming the Father and the Son. And they are one God, yea, the very eternal Father of heaven and of earth. It sure sounds like when Joseph Smith started out that he believed in a triune God. Yes. And and we know over time, you know, the, the first vision went from one being to two beings to, you know, now there's the, the Holy Ghost is a separate being and and the King Fall letter we got that there's three separate beings. And, and so now we believe in three separate beings in the Godhead as opposed to one being who's this triune God. And so yeah. we seem to start out as a triune God, but now we, we don't fall under that. And so that's probably one of the biggest criticisms that we have. You want to see? You want to hear my missionary note? I would I love to hear it on my missionary note on this verse. On the on after verse two, I had down here the two roles of Jesus Christ. I I wasn't even getting it that this was a triune God presentation. And then I've got several different scriptures: Hebrews one one through three, Colossians one sixteen and seventeen. Which, by the way, I am going to do podcasts on these from the Hebrew or the Greek. It's a lot more interesting. And then DNC thirty eight. I will do that from UFOEs because that came from outer space. And then third Nephi, Mosiah, and DNC. And so my idea was, oh, well, what I can do is show that there's two roles of Jesus Christ, but he's still separate from the Father. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I, I, I learned Years ago. Yeah, I learned uh, you know, you learned, oh, there's two separate, you know, this is uh this is their separate functions, and they try to explain in there what the why they dis why they described it this way instead of saying oh, well, he really believed in a triune God and changed his mind over time. Uh, I have to almost think of it, you know, why Why in the early churches did they have this Nicene Creed to begin with and an apostolic creed? To me, when I was on my mission, this whole idea of God being one and three was always hard to hard to grasp. So my mind, naturally, I, I, I kind of follow the Mormon idea of God that they would be three separate beings. Why, why not? But you think about it, you know, they came from a Jewish tradition, which was monotheism. And so yeah. you couldn't all of a sudden have all these Jews go into polytheism. 
but they had God and they had Jesus. And then they had, you know, the, the day of Pentecost, they had this spirit come in. So all of a sudden they're describing three gods, but they're monotheists. Yeah. So they had to come up with some way to still be monotheists and, and describe what happened. And so yeah. I almost have to ask ourselves, are Mormons monotheists? And uh oh, oh, we're gonna now get you've opened a whole big can of worms there. Uh, I, they're already I typing the your they're yeah. already <laughs> typing your letter of excommunication on that one. That's, That's right. Because <laughs> there's no question Mormons are polytheists, you know. Absolutely. You but you asked well, well, no, oh, hold on, hold on. Yes, there is. Um, they would be uh -oh, heno, they would be they would be henotheists, is what I've been told. Oh, Henotheism. Okay. Henotheism, they accept that there's other gods, but we only worship the one God. And, yeah. well, and they make it very clear in the gospel topic essay itself that while we separate into the different beings, the Holy Ghost and Jesus and God, the purposes align with what Christianity in general believes. So they really yeah. focus on that. In fact, I believe that somebody could probably go through all the missionary discussions and not even really realize that we believe <laughs> in three <laughs> separate. I really kind of feel like it's a, they kind of keep it a little convoluted and they talk mostly about the purpose, which they say completely aligns with Christianity and what Mormons believe. So that's an yeah, interesting yeah. part of the essay. That's excellent because um, one of the issues that I ran into on my mission uh, was, and I went to Missouri, the show me state, and, you know, they had just taken the laws off of the books the year before I went there that it was legal to shoot and kill a Mormon on site in Missouri. They didn't realize it was even on their books. They took it out in 1978, is what I was told. So anyway, um, when I would when I would try to teach this Godhead concept, they would. There was one minister who really tangled us up. My companion and I. He said, "Well, you you indicate that part of the true nature of being a god." is the body the the physical mm -hmm. flesh and bone and he said i'll even grant what joseph smith taught that there's not blood in it, it it's full of spirit okay so for the father and the son but he, he said if that is one of the true characteristics of god then your holy ghost can't be god it doesn't matter what your scripture says he doesn't have a body and then we, you get into a nuance. Well, Joseph Smith said the spirit is refined matter. And so, you know, it's a more refined body and all that. But that, they're just, that just doesn't work. So that has been downplayed. So it makes sense, honestly, in this day and age, that the church is going to emphasize this idea of the, of the, uh, the roles, the, yeah. One yeah, that's about all they can do. That's, the purpose, that's about yeah, all they that's, can do right there. The purpose, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, interesting that uh, Stavrakopoulou, a uh, big guest on uh, Derek Lambert's Myth Vision, and she also showed up on Dan McClellan's new podcast, which I will happily plug uh, on his new podcast, Data Over Dogma. And uh, I would highly recommend that. She was his PhD advisor. She wrote that book, The Anatomy of God. And I don't have it with me. It's upstairs. But wow, what a book. We are now in the age to where the body of God is in the majority 
of biblical scholars. Yes, God had a body, and it was a human body. So that's no that's no longer even a unique concept of Mormonism. So the fact that they're emphasizing the purpose right. makes perfect sense. They're trying desperately to remain relevant to a largely Christian world. And to me, based on what I'm seeing, which isn't a lot, but with your guys' help, it's just not cutting the cake. So it speak. can't because they're not Nicene it's not Nicene Christianity, so they can't. Yeah. But but you can right. talk all the pretty terms and people I, I really believe somebody sure. could be baptized and not really realize what we believe. Oh, I have so, I, I apologize. I have to shout out to a Harriet Atkinson. Atkinson, sorry. She's from over the seas in the UK. Welcome, Harriet. Good to see you, man. She's my number one fan that's a nevermo. She's in the UK. So shout out to Harriet Atkinson. She's always a good egg to me. She's very nice. She's awesome. So, and all the rest of you, I'm not trying to ignore you. William Charles, you're here. Yeah, yeah. Welcome, my brother. And then Dr. Wheezy McGurglethroat. <laughs> How in the hell am I supposed to take anything you say seriously with a handle like that? What I kind of audience it. is this, Carrie? I don't know. Oh, my audience. Here. Your audience. There you go. The, these guys are spectacular. Our audience. It's now our there audience because we're doing this as a team. So, okay, I'm done interrupting. I apologize. We're just we're having a lot of fun trying to figure out how come the emphasis has shifted within this essay and and now it's beginning to make a bit more sense yeah. of why in my day in 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 all three of our days say 35 years ago the real emphasis was on oh we have the true god we have a mm -hmm. unique god who is literally like us and we took the hebrew of genesis and completely messed it up by saying adam is in the likeness and form of god and and now Heck, everybody accepts that. I Now, right. I say everybody advisedly. I mean, within the realm of biblical scholarship, that's pretty much a given. The deity described in the Old Testament, when you just simply take it at face value, like Stavrakopoulou does, it's obvious God has a body. And that includes the theological penis. That's no kidding. She has a whole <laughs> chapter on that. It's well, a wait, one drinking game. One, theological no, penis. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying it's a heck of a read, man. Wonderful scholarship. So anyway, and it's archaeologically verified too. So anyway, yeah. Well, and I think okay, you have to point out that be, you know, prior to the Nicene Creed and all of that, you know, that was kind of the concept of God like a Zeus, right? It really was more of a body. Then you yes. have Nicene, you have kind of a mingling with the Greek philosophy, sort of a less, you know, more of a ethereal kind of a God. And, and that's yeah. where we separate. So when the church, they also make a point in their essay, you know, we have beliefs that date back to the early Christian church before apostasy. Well, they're not totally wrong on that because those were more of the views about God before it was mingled with the Greek philosophy. So there was something there perhaps. Yeah, and, and I think we go back to the Jewish God as well. And if you ask any more, you know, the God of the Old Testament, you ask any Mormon and 99% of them, if you ask them if they're monotheists, they're going to say, oh, yes, yeah, we only believe in one God. Well, you believe in God, the Father and Jesus Christ, and that they're both gods, <laughs> and you believe that we all can become gods. 
So there's there's millions of gods right there and the Holy Ghost. And you believe that there's a mother in heaven, right? And that God has multiple wives. So there's there there's dozens of gods, but we all say we're monotheists. And that all goes back to the Old Testament and the Jewish belief of monotheism and that there can only be one God. And so this triune God kind of encompasses that. So we all come to this this idea that there's one God. And so in one sense, Mormons do not believe in one God, yet they do believe in one God. So it's kind of a gray area to me. And, and because of the crystal clarifying clarity of revelation, they don't know what to think. In that's other right. words, right. it's real interesting that some of the biblical scholarship from the Jewish side, I, I have in mind Raphael Patai, the Hebrew goddess, uh, he actually demonstrated that the ancient Jewish Godhead, and Mark Smith also has this in his book, The Early History of God, and from polytheism to monotheism, originally the Jews were polytheists. They acquired their pantheon of the gods from the Council of the Gods, from the Canaanite pantheon. Mm -hmm. I mean, this this stuff goes way back, but Patai demonstrated that the original Godhead was not a trinity, it was a quadrinity it was the father son mother daughter and you're going wow <laughs> that's that's not anything i've heard before so like so the there's Brady some Hunt. interesting yeah there, there's some real interesting variations not only within the scholarship but within the various religions too do you are you getting the impression after studying this essay you guys that the the church appears to um to me they look like and and this is probably justifiable on their part if they want to remain relevant they have really toned down a lot of the uh you know we love to be a peculiar people oh uh -uh. no yes we're, we're, we're done with that noise let's just be normal now yeah, yeah. is my impression wrong no, I agree with you 100%. They're 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 trying to walk more mainline Christian and less weird whereas McConkey Mormonism it was we are different, we are unique. We yeah, absolutely. We are <laughs> we are different and we were proud of being different and now it's like, "Oh no, 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 we're just like everybody else." Yeah. And yeah. we even made a list, Landon and I, today that we'll get into later about all the things, the changes that, that have made, you know, that we, being of a certain age, can certainly recognize um, to make us look like, oh, no, no, we're just like everybody down the block. We're just plain old Christians. So it is very interesting how they, and I think to survive, they've had to skew that way. Absolutely. So yeah. but this list is interesting. Do we need to move to the next one? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> The, the main idea I'm getting from this slide, which is so interesting, is we really don't have any uh, issues at all with the virgin birth or the mm -hmm. sinless life or the atoning death, not even with the bodily resurrection. I used to use that as an argument uh, when they would say, no, God is a spirit, not a body. I would say, well, Jesus resurrected with his body. So you're telling me the son has something the father doesn't have. And that used to stump quite a few people on my mission. But with the saved by grace and with the triune God, uh, where uh, it appears it appears more uh, mellow, not so hard line. No, we don't believe that. 
Yeah. Does that look like that to you? Yeah. Yeah. The save by grace is really one of the other big differences uh, that you get the argument on all the time. You know, are we saved by grace or by works? And we always heard that argument. And, you know, Mormons say, yes, we're saved by grace after everything we can do. You have to do the works and then it's grace that saves you in the end. So in one sense, we say, yes, you are saved by grace. Whereas a lot of the Christian denominations say, no, absolutely not. It's you can't do anything to help yourself. You just have to declare that you believe in, in, in Christ and turn yourself over to him and you're saved by grace. So that's that's definitely one of the big differentiating points. But to me, in the end, uh, Mormons do say in the end that it is gr- his grace and the, the redemption and the atonement that saves you. But you do have to earn your way there by doing certain deeds. Well, yeah, I think the, they say the, that now, perhaps, but um, if you're of a certain age, you will remember that grace was a four-letter word. I mean, we did not say that. We put down friends and neighbors who were Christian that said they were saved, that talked about grace. It was absolutely a concept that was completely negative to any Mormon. And people yeah. that believed in that were a second-class citizen. And of course, yeah, exactly. And think about the different um, BYU professors, Pace or Eugene England, who would dare to talk about grace or personal relationships with Christ. They were shut down too, institutionally. So it's been really interesting recently, and like recent, I mean, maybe in the last two decades, to see this shift toward grace because that, you know, I think some of these guys would be rolling over in their graves if they saw how now the word grace was just rolls off the tip of the tongue off the pulpit. You know, they just yeah. say it like nothing. And you would yeah. not hear that. You would not hear that 30 years ago at all. So and I think it's a trend to, again, normalize Mormonism. We're just like you. We also believe in grace. It's a little different, but we still believe in it. So I don't know if you guys feel that way, but I, it's a huge shift for me what I've seen them talk about at church. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, and it reminds the the big push came from uh, the BYU professor Robert mm-hmm. Millet. He actually mm-hmm. began writing a lot on grace, and Deseret Book was publishing it for a while. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting. All right, should we go to the next slide? Yeah, let's go to the next one. Um, so uh, we we want to we want to. I'm I'm gonna try something real quick. Okay, we we just talked about is so, is that enlarging for you guys too? No, no. Okay, that's just my screen. Okay, never mind. No. I tried to enlarge it. And, okay, and it's all good. That's okay. We we actually uh, we we want to go a little bit uh, to uh, off. Uh, you you can actually take that slide off for a minute. Um, okay. We we just talked about you know what it means to be Christian in the modern day. Um, and, and compared, this is what Christian denominations say. This is what uh, Mormon is more. Uh, this is why you might not be considered Christians in the modern day. But if you go to the gospel topic essays that the, the, the LDS church says uh, that there's that there's kind of three things that uh, that differentiate them from uh, from Christians. And, and then they go on to explain why they feel that they're Christians. And so the first one of those is Latter-day Saints do not accept the creeds, confessions, and formulations of, of post-New Testament Christianity. So that's basically what we just talked about there. And of course, they call it nice post-New Testament Christianity. So the creeds came after what they call after uh, Christ, after the apostasy, or, or it became the apostasy. So after the church that Christ set up fell, then that's where these 
creed, these creeds came from. So, so they're saying those creeds don't really count because they were after uh, the, the church that Christ set up had already entered into apostasy. The, the second thing they say is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does not descend through the historical line of traditional Christianity. That is, Latter-day Saints are not Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, or Protestant. In other words, we're a Reformed church. We're not a church that came through any of the lines. We are Reformed. That makes us different from other Christians. So we are unique. We are different from what most other Christians would have come from one of these other lines somehow. And, and they actually yeah. said restored, not reformed. If I am reading it from the SRA, they kind of made a point to say that they're not reformed, but they are restored. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because there is a difference. And, and there is a sense, though, that there is a lot of 19th century Protestantism in the origins of the church, you know, so I would almost argue eh, there might be a little, but they make a point to say, of course, that we're not any of these, but we're completely unique, almost plucked out of thin air. That's <laughs> And, and the last plucked one, out of thin revelation, plucked out of thin air. That's right. The, the last one is we do not believe in script that scripture consists of the Holy Bible. We do not believe scripture consists of the Holy Bible alone, but have an expanded canon of scripture that includes the Book of Mormon, Doctrine of Covenants and Pearl of Great Price. That definitely makes us different. And again, they're 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 claiming the uniqueness of what Mormons do in the essay. Um, so those definitely separate us. But when you look at it, this is their claim of this is what their claim basically isn't that we don't match what makes you a Christian today. We match what made you a Christian when Christ set up his church on the earth when he was here. And, you know, just before he died, he set up his apostles, his prophets. He set up his church. And then that's the, the, the model that we follow. And that's why we're Christians is because we match that model. And we're more Christian than Christians, I think, is what they're trying to say, right? We're the, the original. We're, we're more Christian than yeah. Christians. We're yeah. OG Christians. Yeah, exactly. And, and I have to say that, that one of the ones that they really hit really hard is the fact that we don't believe in the biblical inerrancy at all. We believe, you know, which which is a huge sticking point for Christians. The Bible is flawless. There is nothing wrong with it. And of course, we dare to say it's you know not quite translated correctly. Yeah, we we do not book. believe in. So yeah, we we like, believe in prophetic inerrancy, not exactly, scriptural inerrancy. Exactly, that's it. Yep. When, when they when they start out the the essay uh, on on our Mormons Christians, uh, uh, Rebecca picked out something really interesting in the first couple uh, sentences here because the first thing they claim is. Christ is the center of our church. You know, that's what they want to claim. And yeah. Rebecca, you want to hit what you, what you, I, I thought this was really astute when she, when she pointed this yeah. out. This is just the first part of the essay. Um, it talks about they worship God, the eternal father in the name of Jesus Christ. And when asked what Latter-day Saints believe, Joseph Smith put Christ at the center. So they don't say we believe in, the first words they say are Joseph Smith has told us that Christ is who we follow. And it just kind of goes down from there. Again, the middleman, and it's Joseph Smith, front and center in the essay, right there. And then Landon had a great observation about how the rest of the paragraph goes, but they can't help themselves. They have got to insert Joseph Smith in every dang thing they write. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Rest, the rest of the sentence, they say they put Christ at the center, and then it says, 
The fundamental principle of our religion is the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ. So it's not Jesus Christ. It's the principles of our religion is the testimony of the apostles and prophets right. concerning Jesus Christ. So Keep that wedge. The apostles. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Keep that wedge between yep. the people and Jesus. Boy, that was my big whoop de do against uh, what's his nose the other night. Yeah. Yeah, and it's right here yeah. in the essay. Just, and, but it sounds the way they've written it. Just sounds so normal. Of course, we don't Up really believe in Christ. In we essay. believe in the apostles' belief in Christ, which kind of makes sense since they are witnesses not of Christ, but witnesses of the name of Christ. So it's it's very convoluted. It's Weasley and very tricky. But yeah, and then they even end the paragraph saying the modern day quorum of the twelve apostles reaffirm that testimony. Right. So again. We can only believe in Jesus through the testimony of these right. certain men. You yeah. can't get a, they never say you get a testimony. Mm -hmm. They never say you get a relationship with Christ. They never say Christ should be your center. They say he's the center of our church through the testimony and the revelation yeah. of these men and this leadership and that you have to follow through them, that that's how we get to Christ. And and yeah. so I thought that was really astute when Rebecca. Now, now what what year was this? Uh, what year was this essay published? This was the first you? one. So the what first was that? One, so 20, fourteen, right? 14, 20, yeah, yeah. I think twenty fourteen. Okay, so as you guys well know, and I well know, and the audience well knows, and Nemo well knows, and everybody who's been podcasting on McKay's talk just now, as of twenty twenty three, that has not changed. He has continued putting the firm, true center of Jesus Christ, which will make you automatically want to come to the church, which teaches the fullness. Jesus is not enough, is the impression I get. Without the witness of the apostles right. and the prophets, Jesus isn't enough. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So if you want to pull up the next slide, then this is where... so. So what we decided we wanted to do is we wanted to look at, um, you know, the church makes its claim that we are Christians because we follow the earliest Christian model. Um, and so we decided, well, let's put that to the test. Is that true? Do we really follow the model that Christ set up when he was on the church or when he was on the so, so explain this map out loud, Landon, for those who will listen to this as a podcast. What kind of a map are we showing here? So this is a this is a map of the Mediterranean, and it basically shows all of the early Christian churches and where they were located at. And one thing that you notice if you look at it, there's there's churches in Italy, there's churches in uh, the area that's Turkey, Greece, um, down in through Palestine, Syria, down around uh, the uh, in Egypt. And all the way over to uh, what's that, Libya or whatever's over in that other. So I mean, area. literally all the way around Everywhere. the Mediterranean for thousands of miles, there are Christian churches set up. Yeah, they're they're everywhere, and and this is one of the things uh, our our book club uh, actually read uh, the uh, Bart Ehrman's book, uh, Lost, Lost Christianity. Christianity. Yep, fantastic book, and the <laughs> thing that he taught, and the biggest thing lesson that we got out of that. Uh, book was that there is there was never one Christianity. It, he he calls it Christianities, the early Christianities. 
right from the start, yeah. there were multiple churches, multiple beliefs, multiple different ways that people saw Christ. They followed different prophets, different apostles. They held different beliefs. and Different and scriptures, different too. They were yeah, following different, different, different writings different at, in yeah. each sect. Yep, exactly. Well, Paul, Paul was adamant about that, too. We could actually mm -hmm. use his New Testament stuff about that. That was his big argument in Galatians and Corinthians. I mean, he was constantly ranting and raving. What are you doing following them when I gave you the true gospel? How dare you believe that doctrine? Even if an angel comes down, let him be damned and on and on and on. And, Paul and was Paul, attempting correlation. That's what I think. <laughs> and he was the earliest the voice. Early, he was the earliest yeah. correlator. That's right. So what we have is Paul McConkie. <laughs> no, it, it it was definitely and that's where do all these false apostles and prophets come from in the in the New Testament? It's like you, you know we're, we're, these books are written in you know forty or fifties, fifty A.D., sixty A.D., seventy up to ninety A.D. And yet there's already all these false apostles and prophets. It's like where are they all coming from? Well. It's because there were multiple Christianities and one group was trying to pull you into the other group. And so if you weren't from that group, you were one of the false apostles or one of the false prophets. So there were literally dozens and dozens of different Christian churches. Christ did not ever set up. Well, first, he didn't set up any church. He, he yeah. left without setting up a church. Churches came about who from followers who tried to follow him, but they started setting up their own churches. And, and now realize they did not have radio and television. They could not travel a hundred miles every day. So each one of these little communities, more or less, give or take, was more or less isolated. And therefore, each community had, like Rebecca would just say, in different scriptures. It's, I mean, Elaine Pagels, the great Gnostic scholar, she too has indicated this in her fabulous discussion with Bill Moyers in A World of Ideas. She said, the thing that blew my mind when I discovered the Nag Hammadi codices, the Gnostic writings, is the diversity is simply mind-boggling. She said, you have hundreds of different groups, all believing sometimes small differences, but all having different sacraments, all having different scriptures, all because there was, there was no canon. So, I mean, you know, you, every now and then you'll see a scholar come out with a new book or else now new YouTube videos, uh, Religion for Breakfast, another fantastic YouTuber. I would highly recommend him. I've been watching him by the dozens and dozens of videos. He has this one on the Shepherd of Hermas, almost made it into the canon. There's the books of Enoch. Those were in the canon in some of these churches, others not so much. So there was nothing really strong and unified. So this theme of, well, we are restored from the original Christian church. The one thing I'm enjoying so much right now about studying the New Testament in its Greek is uh, the nuances come out really much better in the Greek that Jesus was not here to change Judaism. Yeah. 
Jesus, I've got a heretical comment here. Jesus was not a Christian. He was a Jew. Exactly. He came yeah. fully within that culture. I just had Trevin Hatch on last Sunday. This is his main emphasis. And the BYU scholars are catching on. I think they are beginning to agree with him that, yeah, we we Mormonized Jesus too much. Well, the Christians have Christianized him too much. <laughs> Jesus did not come to outdo Judaism. He came to completely live within it and fulfill it. And, and that's a real interesting point when you say, well, what does that do to the restoration? Well, that's our question. What does that do to the restoration? So this is a really important slide. I'm glad you guys got this up. That That is awesome, man. Yeah, it's, it's great information when you learn it. And, and you're exactly right. Uh, it, they're, they're, all the Bible scholars are, are coming around to that. And even the church itself Farms just put out a book, and I, I I forgot to write down the name of it, but they, they just came out with a book in December where the church is talking about the early Christians and the early beliefs of the of the uh, early Christians that, that's much more diverse than we've been led to believe, uh, which... Is it the oh, Maxwell really? Institute's book about there was no apostasy? Is that the one that Yes, that's it. Maxwell Institute. Okay. I forgot. Farms is gone. It's yeah, Farms Institute. is... Yes. yes, Farms is long gone. I, I date myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So do I. Those are still my parents' favorite books, though. They still read from them every day. So, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> even at fair... With farms. Even yes. at fair... Uh, this is our very first book that we published as FAIR. I helped with this book with uh, Daryl Barksdale. This is by Barry Bickmore, Restoring the Ancient Church. Mm -hmm. And that was the main theme is the, the restoration of early Christianity. Now, what I did not recognize, and this is not to take away or disparage uh, Barry Bickmore. He's a very fabulous geologist now at BYU, and he really is. But his his uh, his main focus, of course, parallels. You know, it's always just about parallels because that's all they can do. Parallels, however, we now recognize, do not imply causation. And so, C. Farms had this one: early Christians, or you see, yeah, early Christians yeah. in disarray. And that was their last big one. And then there's this new one by Robert Peterson. Do the Mormons have a leg to stand on? And all he can do is present parallels. But the assumptions in all of these books is that when you find parallels in the early Christian fathers, just like on this map, I'm, I, I'll keep this map up for the sake of the audience, the early church fathers did not all, Tertullian, Augustine, uh, Lactantius, Origen, Hippolytus, Origen, there's the other mm -hmm. big one. These guys were not all just residing in Jerusalem, and they did not all live at the same time. So they also did not have a unity of thought. So if you can find a parallel with Origen, and then you find another parallel with Jerome, and then you find another parallel or two or three with Tertullian, who interestingly left the Christian church because of the lack of the gifts of the Spirit. Nibley mentioned that in his book, The World and the Prophets. But if you find all these parallels with all of these early Christian fathers, that doesn't mean you can say, see, 
that's a restoration of early Christianity because each early Christian father represented one of these different little dots in a completely different geography. I mean, which one of them lived all the way up into Turkey, Anatolia? And and uh, I think it was, uh, uh, who was the martyr? Uh, oh, anyway, you get confused when you start talking about all yeah. the early church fathers. But so there is no unity of thought. There is no unity of doctrine. So by cherry picking this doctrine of the baptism for the dead, this doctrine of God having a body, this doctrine of being saved through works, etc., you're not finding early Christian doctrine. You're finding some Christians view way over there in Italy, another guy's way over here up by Sidon and Tyre, another guy's way up there on the Black Sea, on the Danube, etc. And they're not all a unified Christianity by any means. Remember when the uh, Socrates, not not the Greek philosopher, the church historian Socrates, Sozomen, uh, in the early church fathers uh, group by Donaldson, they're like, 99 volumes. I've got them all upstairs, but <laughs> Sozaman, Sozaman describes when they called that church council, the Nicene council, it took them six months to all just get there. That's how far, that's how far spread out these guys were. They didn't just hop on a jet plane and bam, have the council in a day or two. That's not how it worked, man. So it, this is a real interesting uh, view a larger context showing, and I'm really glad you brought that out, Landon. There was, weirdly enough, and you have to study the early Christian materials, which I haven't done enough, I've done a little, but there was no such thing as an original Christianity. And Jacob Neusner and several of the Jewish scholars back in the 1980s and 90s, once the Dead Sea Scrolls came out, once they started discovering all of the other Jewish apocalyptic writings, because, of course, the scrolls had the Enoch text, they finally realized, oh, hey, the book of Daniel, that's a really late apocalyptic text also, mm -hmm. and it's actually a pseudepigrapha. Once they started finding all these Jewish texts, they realized that there is no such thing as Judaism either. There's only Judaisms. And then it blew everybody's mind when they started to talk about the Messiah. There was no such concept. I, I'm going to say that again. There was no such concept. There was only Messiahs. And we have the fabulous historical information of Josephus. He shows six or seven different messiahs in Jesus's day and what was going on between those types of messiahs and the Romans. So there's nothing singular here in any, call it a nationality, call it a religion. There was no such thing. And so this is hugely problematic for this essay. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. <laughs> okay. And, now yeah. shut up and let someone else talk. No. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> and, and, and each area had a different, you know, down, down in the Egyptian area, that's where the Gnostics were. And then over in the Israel on the side of Israel, that's where the Ebionites were. And then the Martianites were up in Anatolia and that area. And then you had the Orthodox that were kind of in the Greek and the Italian area spread out. 
So Don't you have you, a slide for that? I think you have a slide for that. I Don't have you? Different... about those groups, and we'll get to those groups. But okay. I'm just, yeah, I'm just oh, going to the fact that they all lived in okay. that each area kind of had its own different different group of Christianity that it practiced. It was kind of a local localized tradition. So so yeah, let's go to the next slide. When we talk yeah, about, there wasn't there wasn't even a single Gnosticism. You can't even yeah, say yeah. Gnosticism. And we'll talk anymore. about that. We're going to have some. Oh, oh okay. Here we go. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> so Keep on trucking, buddy. A couple key definitions is uh, when we talk about it, you'll you'll hear Orthodox. And Orthodox really is really is if you say it's an Orthodox belief, it's conforming to the ex accepted standard or belief. It's not that there was an Orthodox belief that that people believed. It's more that a belief became orthodox because it's the one that won out. Whichever one won out became the orthodox belief. You may have believed, you know, that a dog was God and that didn't win out. But if that had won out, that would now be the orthodox belief. So orthodoxy is really just the belief that won out. It's the winner writes the history, the winner writes the scripture. So that's the orthodox belief. Uh, when we talk about heterodox belief, that's a deviation from the accepted standard, which is close to the accepted standard. But, you know, it's close enough that you can say, oh, I could see where they believe that or I could accept that. But it's it's not the standard belief, but it's close. And then there's the heretical belief, the belief that's contrary to the core religious standard or tradition. And a lot of Christians look at Mormonism and say, well, that's a heretical belief that God mm -hmm. had in Jesus is three different beings. That's heretical. You were not saved by grace. That's heretical. You know, so so there's these different terms that are mother that are in heaven around. is a huge heretical belief. <laughs> Which one? Would you say mother belief. in heaven? Oh, mother in heaven. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's I mean, a that's heretical belief within Mormonism. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, even Mormons think that's heretical. Right. right. I, I can't wait to get back to heaven and watch mom spank all of their little bare butts for a while. <laughs> that's going to be a fun watch. They'll go from heretical she's going to give real quick. <laughs> she, she's going to give me cookies and milk because I defend her. So. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the, the way that they decided what was an, a true source or not was whether it was canonical which is the ones that they put into the scripture and which one were apocryphal. So apocryphal were writings that were, ah, they're good writings, but they don't reach the, the, the level of canon. But different churches had different canons. Some apocryphal books were canonical in some churches and some canonical books were apocryphal in the other books. Some had, you know, 50 books. Some had 38 books that were canonical. And so that was always changing. And so you can never say this was the canon in the early church because there never was an established canon. And even what became the New Testament or the Old Testament was hundreds and hundreds of years later before they ever established a canon. And that just even even, you know, the Catholics have a, a, a different canon than than uh, the, the the Protestants. Even still to today. Even still today. Do. Yeah. yeah. And, and and scholarship uh, has absolutely. I mean, Bart Ehrman too. He's big on this. We now know uh, there were several dozen, and I'm I'm not exaggerating. I can't exactly remember forty one or forty four. Can't remember which. That many different gospels, and and you know, yes, there are some so called gnostic gospels, mm -hmm. but 
even that term no stick uh religion for breakfast just did a podcast on it fantastic podcast on mary magdalene and her place in the early christian church and the theme of no stick uh the scholars are now recognizing that that entire label is just a bias against the heretics that the early christians had they were still Christians. They just had different beliefs. They're kind of like the Mormon apologists today. You know, they call everyone else anti-Mormons if you disagree with them and all. Oh, well, that's heretical and all that. We're the gatekeepers. We're the ones who have the true interpretation and all. The Gnostics were 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 Christians. They were they just had a different understanding of the scripture so it's fascinating all of these different groups are juggling for absolutely everything and there's much more variety of belief and scripture and different communities than we have ever before understood until fun enough the 1980s we live yep. in a great age man oh for yeah discovery and yeah. and interestingly enough this plays huge into the into the bible because we, we all sit and say, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as long as it's translated correctly. Well, we have old texts and we can, the, the, the um, scholars can look at those texts and because they were handwritten, they can actually follow those texts. And there's like four main texts, the uh, Vaticanus, the uh, Alexandrius, the, I, I can't remember all, the name of all four. The Leningrad, the Leningrad but, but Codex main, is one of those. that go clear back to about the third century. That's the oldest they go back. But they can follow the errors and the changes, and they can they can tell whether it, which of those it kind of came from uh, when they're hand copying them, and they can see the changes. And when they start seeing a change, they look at that change and they say, is this an intentional change, or was this just an accident where they were copying that looks like it was a a, a change because they they just wrote something slightly wrong but when they, they start seeing the intentional change then they say whose book was this oh this was a gnostic book well the gnostics didn't believe this so they made this point just a little stronger and so they changed these words to make their point a little stronger whereas the orthodox they they changed the, the gnostics words to make it this way and they started changing the Bible, and you yeah. can actually see them changing the Bible to make their point stronger. And ultimately, the Orthodox view is the one that won out, and they overwrote the the others to get the stronger version. But the original yeah. documents weren't necessarily written to that Orthodox level that we see today. Um, so the, the yeah. scriptures were changed, but they were they weren't changed to make them more like what we believe. They were changed to make things more like what we believe than less like what we believe. So originally they were less what we believe. <laughs> they just got changed to be more like what we believe because that's oh, so you're heading into this realm of Joseph Smith restoring ancient scripture and all may not be as accurate as he wanted his followers to believe either then. Yeah, because he I mean it's, it's not a matter of belief. Yeah, he, yeah. he goes back to Orthodox belief. Yeah. So yep. that's one way and that's late. Yeah. Yeah. So very, very good. Very good. It. So oh, let's go to the next slide then. Um, so these were the key groups that were kind of floating around out there in early Christianity. There were a lot of groups, but these were kind of the, the key ones. Uh, the first one were the 
uh, Ebionites, Ebionites, I don't know how to say it, uh, if I'm saying it right, but... Uh, we don't know how to say any of these. Yeah, any of these. <laughs> We're having a struggle. We're not Greek. Carrie can correct us. <laughs> <laughs> or anyone in the chat. That's right, that's right. Uh, so the Ebionites, they followed the teachings of Peter and and James. So if you remember, James was at the was at the uh, Jerusalem church. He headed that church. This is the group that believed they revered the Jewish scripture. They believed you had to follow all the Jewish law uh, and that you had to follow all the Jewish practices. You had to be circumcised and all of those things. Well, the Martianites, they followed Paul. So they were more the people who believed in uh, different gods of the Old Testament, and New Testament, that they were different. They rejected the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish uh, practices. And you remember Peter and, or James and Peter and, and when Paul came and they had that big fight over uh, whether you had to follow the, the laws, whether you had to be circumcised, whether you had to keep all the Jewish rituals and everything. And, uh, and then Peter had the dream. Remember, there was the picnic and what God called unclean, uh, all of that stuff. But if you read the scriptures, in one case, you, you read the story, oh, they came together and they were all happy. And in, 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 in Paul's version of it, Paul went and you can tell he's getting raked over by the, by the uh, Gentiles. And they're all saying, you gave away the farm. And he goes and says, no, I did not. I told, I told uh, Peter that uh, we were not going to follow those rules, that we were not going to be Jewish, that yeah. they would have to obey this. And those two are fighting over which of these is, is right. So there were clearly divisions between Paul and Peter. And so when you yeah. follow that and you see that these are they're bickering and they're fighting over whether Jewish has Jewish rules have to be followed or not, you can see right there that there was not one church with one policy. There were clearly fighting and bickering going on between different yeah. apostolic groups. And that's where some of this, if another apostle comes and tells you a different gospel, don't believe it because one's telling you you have to follow the Jewish rites and other one's telling you don't. Yeah. Then you have the Gnostics, and the Gnostics, they, they kind of followed Paul as well. They believed that only an elite group with a secret knowledge was required for salvation. So they were kind of, I call them the temple, the, the, the temple Christians. They had the secret handshakes, the secret knowledge that only those who have the temple recommend know how to get into, into heaven. <laughs> um, and so they rejected materialism, and they were more an aesthetic lifestyle. But there were some really different Gnostics and a lot of different Gnostics, groups of Gnostics. And, and Rebecca's going to hit one of the really fun ones that we that we found. Well, and then just remember, they also had the bridal chamber. I used to use that on my mission as proof that our endowment was true. They had the bridal chamber, you know. And then uh, Einar Erickson back in the day when he had all those fabulous tapes with all the parallels of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Malachamati Codices. And he said, there's one ancient source that talks about the bridal chambered with mirrored walls. And I... <laughs> Well, the Gnostics we no. found maybe had mirrored walls, but we'll tell you why. <laughs> we don't know in a different way. No, and I agree with what you're saying. You know, it's just cherry picking these parallels like you talked about from yep. each little group might have something that then you weave into this almost a Frankenstein, you know, of a Christianity, which is weird. But there's so many, if you really start studying them, just very obscure little groups and their obscure little practices. So one of the ones that was really intriguing to us that was extremely different, uh, they're called the, the Carpo Christian. 
Carpocratians. And I hope yeah, I'm if you want to go to right. the next slide, yeah, go to the next slide. Yeah, the Carpocratians. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> And they followed um, Carpocratus, of course, um, and they were based in Alexandria and they were considered a Gnostic group in the second century. And so they had an interesting belief where they thought that Jesus um, was just like them, just a common person, but somebody who had not forgotten his otherworldly origins. So he was a teacher. He was aware of where he came from, but he wasn't a son of God or anything special like that. So they really focused on spiritual reality um, instead of, you know, matter here on earth. And they believed they were kind of their mission was to um, the subversion of the um, Jewish biblical law, because they believed that evil angels had created this Jewish biblical law. So they were hell bent on destroying it. But the most interesting tenet of their religion is that they believed that in life you have to experience everything, every element of life, whether sinful or not. And until you have experienced everything, you're going to keep coming back. So it's a reincarnation sort of a situation to try again. And so they wanted you, no matter how hedonistic, no matter how you know debaucherous, you were supposed to experience everything in life. And I mean, everything. So Landon and I started thinking, now what if this was the Christianity that rose to the top? What if this is what we all practice today? Imagine going into a bishop's interview where the bishop said, all right, Jimmy, tell me about your week. And he said, well, I had sex. And the bishop said, how many times? And he said, once. And the bishop said, what is wrong with you, Jimmy? We have told you at least seven, eight, nine, ten. You know our tenets. You know our religion. I want to give you this book, The Miracle of Fornication. Now, Jimmy, you take this home. You read this book. So, I mean, it really, and it could have been that way. Any of these little sects and the things that they espoused could have like cream risen to the top. It's very interesting to think about wow, a parallel universe where the Capocratians are the ones running things. They they actually practiced thing. liturgical spouse swapping. They would go to the sacrament and no. practice it. <laughs> and this was Holy. one of our Christian groups. <laughs> yeah, this was one of this was one of the original churches. So if you Holy say the original church is restored, you have a leg to stand on if you're interested in that kind of thing. <laughs> it would have been a sin not to touch your little factory. That's, That's what exactly I'm saying. Right. That's exactly oh my it. Gosh. Yep. You gotta do Boy, it. Jay Packer would have never made a good apostle in that. Yeah, group. the little factory talk wow. would have been totally different. It would have been all about how to operate your little factory, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and if you didn't do it, if you didn't experience it, you had you had to come yeah. back. You were you came back again to come to back until again. you experienced yep. everything. You had to come back. Wow. So it's like you know, if if you were straight, that wasn't good enough. You had to come no. back. Uh, and and experience, uh, you'd have to come back as a homosexual and experience that. You'd have to come Anything, back. You everything. had to experience it all in order to yeah. finally move wow. on. So, hey, yeah, uh, you know, that, that reminds me real quick off the top of my head. Stephen Jay Gould, uh, the great Harvard biologist, he actually had an essay on a specific person <laughs> who was born as both sexes, male and female. It, and it was a medical wonder back in the 18th century, but yeah, they've got a whole, a whole spiel on it. In fact, I do believe after the, the 
the child didn't live very long. It died, but I believe they preserved the body so that they could study it medically because it just shocked them that it was both a male and female in one body. Now, that's the rebus concept of the hermetic materials. The Some of the Jewish mystical rabbis actually taught that Adam and Eve were born or were created back to back. Eve was facing one way, Adam was the other. They were an androgynous being, which is really interesting. So, I mean, that is, yeah, we're getting off field. Holy <laughs> shit. Well, why someone in the swapping? chat made the comment, that's why I was laughing out loud, that it's perhaps perhaps true that Joseph Smith actually did restore the Carpocratian religion. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's what it was. So, I, no! I'm not ruling that out. Who <laughs> Good comment. Don't tell me I have to go back to church, please. You might have, but I think you'll like it a lot more if you if you follow these tenets. <laughs> Dega Vertigo pointed out that it was a common rhetorical tool at the time to misrepresent one's opponents in writing. And that's very true. Yes. They would yes. they would often yes. write, oh, these guys are so bad. And, yeah, and these are devil worshippers sacrificing babies. Yeah, a yeah, lot of this yeah. could be. But likewise, they do the same thing back. Yeah. So yeah, it, it yeah. absolutely is hard to tell. We we found that there were some papers of of uh, writings of of believers who believed that uh, Jesus actually would baptize people, and then mm -hmm. to be united with Christ actually meant you had to be physically united with Him. Mm -hmm. It was actually a sexual wow. act and that he took mm -hmm. uh, a young man and baptized him and that was the young man that was in the garden of eden in with the garden, him, of, naked, garden with of gethsemane the, the garden, garden of gethsemane, gethsemane. the yeah, youth sorry, in the loincloth yeah with the loincloth and yep. and so there's all kinds of weird stories out there uh, by these early christian groups and what makes one more believable than the other it's just simply that this is the one the group decide so that these groups got together and correlation. said correlation correlation. <laughs> it's exactly that correlation. This one we accept this one we reject. Or as I like to call uh -oh. it correlation. I have to say in the chat, somebody picked up on my word loincloth. Do not start this again. We are not going. Oh, loin. We, <laughs> no loining around. Shut around. it down. Shut it down. <laughs> Put that loin away. <laughs> Leave aye, that aye, loin aye. a loin right oh. now. <laughs> Do not play with your little loin. <laughs> oh, crying. I, I got to agree, though. Joseph Joseph very much did, did restore maybe some of these churches, though so it's, it's he, he very well could have restored yeah. some of these practices <laughs> because well, they maybe all came from the same place. People were all human back then, and they had the same human desires. Yep. And powerful people came up with the same ideas and the same strange things that they came up with a thousand, two thousand years later. So, uh, and that's yeah. why we come up with this last one, which is early Christianity parallels to Mormonism. Uh, when you start looking at early Christianity, a lot of the parallels are that they struggled for direction of, of early church after the death of the founder. When Jesus died, nobody knew who was in charge. Nobody knew what they were supposed to do. Same thing when Joseph Smith died. No one knew what they were supposed to do. And you started getting, you know, all these unique ideas that Brigham Young came up with that completely changed the church. Um, 
Fight. And, and James Strang. Yeah. And James yeah. Strang. Yeah, yeah. you've got a whole bunch of different leaders, and that's the same thing that happened here. He died, and a bunch of different groups split off and, and, and made different Christianities. Uh, a fight to define and preserve orthodoxy through suppression of alternate scriptures and leaders. Everyone was pushing down, or like, uh, like uh, Dega Ver, uh, Vertigo said, um, they, were, they would write down the other guy and, and say that he was doing something wrong or, or say something uh, negative about them to make them seem not, not in line with what they And I, I mean, that was, the, that was the bread and butter of the early uh, apologists too, wasn't it? The early church fathers. I mean, against all heresies and contra selsum by another one. Yeah, they were constantly putting down people whom they didn't like what they were saying. Yeah. And, and how many well, times... How many times did Joseph Smith excommunicate somebody who started to challenge him or started to say something? You know, he excommunicated every, everyone, every first, everyone in the first presence. He got excommunicated except his brother, I think. At least um, once. Yeah. At least once. Yeah. <laughs> and he and he was the rowdiest one of all. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, he he excommunicated him for discovering him with that almost a few months shy fifteen year old. So. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the focus on the Orthodox is an adherence to church hierarchy. How often, you know, that you, you have to adhere oh to the church over the, the, the doctrine, you know, that's, you, you got to listen to your superiors. Uh, insistence on unity and idea that diversity is a sign of heresy. Uh, we just had that talk. Who was it? Was it Oaks that just gave the talk on unity that said unity yeah. is, it, yep. is dangerous, that that's not why... We came here was God did not teach unity or he only taught diversity. unity. He did not right. teach diversity. Right. Yeah. Intellectualism corrupts pure doctrine. Boy, we, we've certainly seen that one. Um, literal versus figurative interpretation of the scriptures, uh, textual changes to scripture to make it adhere to current doctrine. Uh, yeah. We never taught that, did we? Um <laughs> <laughs> Role of uh, apocalyptism, the end of the world is still nigh. It's been that way since the uh, time of Christ. <laughs> the end of the world has been coming. And then yeah. prophets that are revered by one generation are marginalized and eventually forgotten by the next. Uh, we just heard that uh, just in yeah, the last. We really conference. heard that. Yeah, yep. we sure did. Yes, we sure did. So, so, you know, it all comes down to, you know, we're, are Mormons Christian? You could look at this and argue absolutely not. Uh, they don't follow the Christian, but in that same model, are Christians Christians? You could argue that no, they're not. So it, it's it's such a slew, it's such a stew that you can't argue anyone is anything. So you know, I give everyone the credit of if they claim that they are, uh, then they are. You know, I I when people ask me, I'm an atheist myself, and if people ask me, you know, or you know, what are you? I, I'd say I'm a Christian atheist. I I adhere to the the teachings of Christ, I believe in, in doing good to other people in, uh, you know, the golden rule. I adhere to those things. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that those teachings are great, whether they came from him or not, <laughs> they're, they're attributed to him. And I think over time, those were good values that, that uh, civilization yeah. has, has given. I think churches have corrupted them, but I think that the, the, the philosophy is, is a good philosophy. So, if someone wants to claim they're Christian, let them claim they're Christian is the way I see it. But others can certainly look at it any way they want. But I think the overall yeah. message I learned from all of this is 
that that Mormons Mormons uh, can say that they're Christian and it it doesn't. I don't think people are leaving the church because they don't think they're Christian. I think every Mormon out there thinks they're a Christian, and I think most people yeah. who who deal with them also think they're Christian. And and this really yeah. wasn't an essay that I am going to sit there and argue with them over. That no, you're not Christian. I I'll give them that one. That's an essay I'll give them, and that's exactly I think what they were after is they want you to give them that. Give us that one, you know, so that they get off that they're they're ahead on these arguments before they get to polygamy and Book of Abraham and the others that they know they're going to lose. <laughs> so that's the way I. That's thought. that's an in, that's an interesting psychology there. Yeah, yeah, that's very very interesting. Yeah. But don't you feel don't you feel that Mormon the Mormon Church now is my mom you know eighty seven says we're becoming too Christian. Isn't that an interesting statement? We're becoming too Christian because in her day and even in my day, a lot of things that the church is doing now or trying to gravitate toward is not how we did it before. Um, missionaries now, instead of talking about studying the Book of Mormon together, say Bible study. Will you join me for Bible study? Missionaries say, we're going to teach our friends Bible study. We're going to share the good news. They actually use words like that. If you look at the Liahona, some of the magazines, they have a very very Christian, if you know what I'm talking about, maybe somebody in my mom's day, Christianity had this certain look and feel. And, and Mormonism is, is gravitating toward that, I think, um, very superficially, kind of like I said, a Venus flytrap maybe, um, to make it appear that we are very mainstream. Landon and I actually made a whole list today, didn't we, of things yep, that we yep. felt like the church very different from when we grew up. And you'll probably have an observations on this too, Carrie, but Bible study versus Book of Mormon. Missionaries not wearing name tags anymore. There are pilot programs now yeah. where they go out for a couple hours a day without a name tag to see if just a friendly, you know, kind of a Christian face might work, casual dress, that kind of thing. Um, the verbiage yeah. I just talked about, new Christian logo, new Christian logo. My parents were actually kind of that's awfully Christian, you know, and they say it as if that's kind of a bad word. It's not what they were used to. Um, we felt that there was sort of a reduced mention of Joseph Smith. I think the stats run on conference. He was only mentioned two or three times, like not very much. They're trying not to talk about him. Um, magazines with a Christian look to them. Well, I mean, come on. It was Easter though. Okay. It yeah. But look <laughs> at previous Easter's. No, I'm telling you, look at previous Easter's where all the talks huh. were about Joseph Smith. I think that they're trying to make a push to become more mainstream. Um, we talked about videos with a Christian look, you know, the chosen, which connected to the church, things like that. It's very oh. Christian, um, purposely vague. We covered that here tonight about Mormon doctrines, you know, just a little yeah. not clear, you know, which is why I say, I think you could literally join the church with not really understanding that you were becoming a Mormon because they, they just sugarcoat it. And actually that is a true story from someone's mission that I cannot name because he's asked me not to speak about him. My so, right. but yeah, where somebody very, actually did join and good. didn't realize they had joined the Mormon church. So because they're doing such a good job, I think another oh, wow. thing, yeah, no, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> talk to me after. Well, that would have never yeah. happened on my mission. No, it would not wow. have happened on your. No, this person had already been baptized and uh, the person was working this not to be named missionary with them um, for for uh, discussions and just teaching after baptism. And they got on the topic of living prophets. And this person jumped up from the table, said, there's no such thing as living prophets. And of course, the missionary was like, who taught this person? And then the person <laughs> said, wait a minute, are you guys the Mormons? 
this person was already a member. They had already been baptized. <laughs> <before>. So wow. <laughs> I'm telling you it's real. <laughs> oh my heavens. Yeah, it's real. What a, what a so nightmare. I, I also find you'll see signs now, especially here in Utah, in front of church buildings, just like a Christian church that say, welcome, Sunday service, 9, 11, and 2. As if you could choose, like once you get in there, they find out where you live and then you have to go at a certain time, you know, Christian music, which was completely shunned. Wouldn't you agree, Landon? Completely yep. not something we listen to. And now, you know, we have a lot of Mormon Christian music that's out there, especially for the kids. They put out albums. Um, yeah. They try to get young adults together like Christian groups do not very successfully. Um, here's a big one for me. When I was growing up, you couldn't say Jesus. I don't know if anyone else of a similar age remembers that. You said the Savior. You said Jesus Christ. Think about the song, oh. You Who Unto Jesus. Remember those old words? And now what are the words? Who unto the Savior, <laughs> right? You can't, you don't say Jesus. And in my current ward here, uh, we even had a meeting about 15 years ago where they said, we don't want you to say the word Jesus. It's too familiar. We want you to use the Savior. We don't even want you to talk about him very much. It's too sacred. So now from the pulpit at conference, we hear Jesus all the time. They sound the very Christian, very different from how the rest of us were raised. Um, some of the other ones we came up with is always teaming up with other churches and their charities, you know, always mentioning collaborations with other Christian denominations, yeah. you know, kind of tagging along yeah. with them. And so well, yeah, now, I feel now, they're really and, moving and this, that direction. This is my skeptic coming out, though. The, uh, part of that just has to be political because oh, totally. those denominations that they are starting to chum up with and rub the shoulder mm -hmm. to the put your shoulder to the wheel and rub shoulders with yeah. are also anti-lgbtq or they're anti-something exactly. and yep. so so yep. there's more power in all the groups coming together yep so You're so wrong. yes yeah. I, I i i'm entirely with you but they're on some of that, it's unfortunate, but I suspect there are political motivations. Yeah, there's also. a hidden agenda. Well, I'm and, sure there's a hidden like, agenda. Absolutely. The the one thing I wanted to say about this fantastic book as well. Now we're kind of using this as a takeoff to get into the essays. Uh, so we're reading each one chapter and, and we're kind of discussing a little bit and we will discuss a lot more on some subjects than others out of this book about the essays. But on this uh, Our Mormons Christian essay, the the response was written by Craig L. Blomberg. And as you know, he was one of the big debaters with Stephen Robinson in that big book by Farms, Our Mormons Christians. And they actually had a debate back and forth. But all of us basically said after we read Blomberg's response on our Mormons Christian, we all kind of looked at each other and said, uh, who is he to decide who is Christian and who is, why does he give a flying flip? Because none of us really did. And I think that's the, I'm not trying to put words in your guys' mouth, but the general consensus uh, from my end is it doesn't bother me one way or the other uh, whether Mormons think they're Christian or not any more than it would bother me if Christians thought Mormons are Christian or not. That I just don't have a dog in that fight because in the long run, honestly, it's just a label. Now, now that doesn't mean it doesn't have power. 
for both good or ill. I, I get all that. But really, this this whole um, mountain out of a molehill over what to call others, that's just simply labeling anyway. And that has never given us a chance to get to what truth and reality is. So, yeah, yeah it was fun to read, but... And just like the essay, the essay was fun to read, but I agree with Landon. Um, okay, um, so they, they threw this really, truly harmless, almost waste of time essay out there as the very first essay in order to disarm anybody who was going to become alarmed that, well, we're becoming more open now with our views. Now we're going to become more open about how we are Christian. And next time, don't forget, we are also going to present a fabulous essay showing how we don't hide any of our history or doctrine by how we believe in becoming like God. And then after that, they start getting, but by then everyone's inoculated more or less. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're open. We can just point to the essays and say, wrong answer. We're not hiding anything morons. Look, we've got essays. It's comforting just to have them. You don't have to read them. Just knowing that they're there and smarter people than you wrote them and they're okay with it. You feel okay. You don't need to worry anymore. I think that's one of the attitudes. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. There, there was an interesting part in the book, though, that uh, I hadn't uh, realized was their discussion on the cross, because that seems to be mm-hmm. one of the big ones with us is that we don't use the cross. And right. I hadn't realized it before, but that, you know, one of the things that we always say is, well, we focus on, you know, we don't focus on the death of Christ. We focus on the living and the resurrected Christ. But he pointed out that, you know, the Catholic cross, you always see it and you've got Jesus on the cross. But then he pointed out that the Protestant cross is an empty cross, which is a cross representing that Jesus is no longer on the cross, that he has been resurrected. So there should be no reason that you would would, uh, not accept that cross. Uh, Whether you are a fan of the cross or not, I thought it was cool. I I hadn't thought of that before. So I thought that was a cool point that he pointed out. I I hadn't thought about that either. A small but significant point that does make the point. Yeah. It's like the empty tomb. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I've seen more Mormon women, especially wearing crosses as jewelry. I'm wearing one right now. And, and, you know, my neighborhood, everybody's Mormon and faithful. And they all, a lot of them have a cross or earrings and they'll wear them to church. And I've also noticed a lot of new temples they're building in Utah, the kind that kind of pop up on the side of the freeway. They don't have an angel Moroni. They have a spire and they almost have, how would you describe it, Landon? Like a little just like a little indentation right there from a distance. It almost looks like a very subtle yep. cross. It's not a straight spire. It kind of just, the, the just a little bit. Temple. It's yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. representational. Oh, no. So yeah, again, like my list, kind of moving toward just a more mainstream look at least. Yeah. Now, now, if I can throw my uh, heretical viewpoint in, and I will do a video on this topic because it is so fascinating to me personally. But the cross is definitely a symbol. Gary, I don't know what's happened to your microphone, but you sound like Darth Vader. And maybe it's <laughs> I thought it was me fourth. for a minute. It's because it's May, May the 4th. <laughs> Is it because I lowered my sound better now? 
<laughs> you just so, want to have so, kind of a so, robot my, quality to carry. My I thought it was just me, but I guess cosmic, 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 in the sky. sky. I can't understand a word he's saying. It's the strengthening of the members' committee blocking the signal. Everybody, get out your tinfoil hat now. Really? Really? Now you're better, a little better. Well, it's still still echoing. So. <laughs> Now nope, there's no nope, sound. No, nope. that sounds much better though. <laughs> but it sounds like he can still hear us. So that's right. No, no sound. No sound. Zero no sound. sound. Dang it! Yep. That's so weird. I guess it's telling us it's time to go. It, it might yeah, be time to go. Up. So I'll I'll, I'll close right. with Landon. This. Will close us out. I'll, I'll Here close we go. Out. I'll say our Mormon. We, we may not know if Mormons are Christians, but we know all post Mormons are heathens. And I'll leave it at that. Okay. Oh, can you hear can me hear now? You. Now we yes, can hear now you. Now we can hear you. On the word heathen, Harry comes back in. The Holy Ghost departed when I went heretical. Boy. All right. Well, that's a good thing. That's funny. I always have to have something silly like this happen on my show. You know, it is Every the backyard time. professor after all. Every but time. now, but now, see, now we're the three professors. So now this is reflecting on you guys. So I apologize. <laughs> I, I feel terrible. You look great, both of you, but I feel terrible. So yeah, that was a good ending, Landon. Thank you. Um, so anyway, that is our first examination, and we have a lot more to go through. And the cool thing is, don't you guys agree that uh, kudos to the church for actually getting somewhat of a decent variety of essays up and out huh? on a variety of subjects. And every one of them significant and significantly dangerous and significantly damaging to the, what they used to call testimony of the church once you dig in. And that's why we want to do this, not to damage a testimony, but to open our eyes to the fact that the testimony was built on the sand. And that's why so many folks are angry. You know, we feel like we've been deceived, dang it. And that's not a happy place to be. So, but there is life afterwards. So, I mean, look at how much fun we three are having, right? That's right. Look how much fun Bill Real and Great RFM time. has and oh, John my, DeLay No one has more Mike. fun than they do, I don't think. No, oh, nobody. It, we are the funnest. That's the way it is. All right. Do you have anything, any last thing to say, Rebecca? Landon said his piece. Oh, I've said mine. It's wow. up to you. Dear. I think I've said my piece too. I can't think of anything else to add. Just that uh, Landon and I from Mormonish Podcast are really honored to even be able to come on the program with you. We absolutely love it. And yeah. we're going to be excited when you come on with us. It'll be a different dynamic, but we just, we love uh, collaborating with you, Carrie. And as everyone in the chat knows and watching, Carrie is just wonderful and brilliant and we're learning so much no we're just learning so much uh, studying with you and being on the program so thank you well thank you very much and i will say again once more before the crowd starts leaving um sunday night's going to be a huge night i have james Tabor, the world-class biblical scholar and archaeologist coming on and we are going to be talking a little bit about his online mark course the gospel of mark which is his area of expertise as well i'm going to try to get him onto the subject of the apostle paul and his mystical ascent to paradise the early mystical 
beginnings of Christianity. So you're not going to want to miss that. And I suspect I'm going to pull a surprise video on Saturday where I take a very deep, interesting dive on a topic on the new book, New to Me, Producing Ancient Scripture, Joseph Smith's Translation and Development of the Mormon Canon. I've heard people say what the Mormon scholars are trying to do now uh, is, you know, try to change what translation means. I've read this book. I agree in some respects that they are attempting to do that. But this is a mind blower. And I've got some huge responses. These guys aren't kidding. They are showing us Joseph Smith's method with the contemporary materials he has. And it's a shocker. So I'm going to do a lot of videos on this. I'm going to see if I can get one out on Saturday. It'll be a deep dive. It'll probably be two and a half to three hours. And then Sunday with James Tabor. And very soon again with Mormonish, both Rebecca and Landon, my two heroes and, and fellow partners in, in crime. And we're going to do a lot more collabs. So thanks for watching, you guys. Appreciate all of your support. Appreciate all of your information and knowledge. I appreciate you not loining around in the chat while we were goofing off here in the video. I was worried there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you, you sounded worried. You jumped right on that one. So Those okay, we will... last time. It was too much. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you all very soon. another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.